Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters podcast, a series of candid conversations with leading experts about how individuals and organizations can grow and protect their finances, tailored around current events and trends. Here's your host for today's podcast, Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the Key Wealth Matters weekly podcast, where we casually ramble on about important topics, including the markets, the economy, human ingenuity, and almost anything under the sun, giving you the keys to unlock the mysteries of the markets and investing. Today is Friday, July 22nd, 2022. I'm Brian Peterangelo. Welcome to the podcast. And speaking of human ingenuity, this week on July 20th, 53 years ago, the trio of Neil Armstrong, Buzz Aldrin, and Michael Collins traveled on board Apollo 11 into space and culminating with Armstrong and Aldrin being the first humans to set foot on the moon, launching a fantastic run in the evolution of space travel and technological advancement. With me today, I'd like to introduce our own trio of investing experts here to share their thoughts on what they see beyond the horizon and in the markets and the economy. George Mateo, Chief Investment Officer, Steve Haight, Head of Equities, and Rajiv Sharma, Head of Fixed Income. As a reminder, a lot of great content is available on key.com slash wealth insights, including updates from our Wealth Institute on many different subjects, and especially our key questions article series addressing a relevant topic for investors each Wednesday. For this week's economic data, it was fairly light. Housing data showed declines for June in all three areas, building permits, housing starts, and housing completions. Other leading economic indicators were also down about 0.8%, also for the third month in a row. And initial unemployment claims were at 251,000 for the week, which was the highest in eight months. So we're seeing some signs of the economic slowdown also permeating into our conversation, in addition to a couple commentaries on the Fed meeting next week. So George, let's start with you with your general thoughts. Well, there wasn't a whole lot of economic news that uh, really moved the markets it seemed this past week, Brian. I think um, there were some some indications that uh, confirmed that what, things we already know, like the housing market is uh, is coming under a bit of pressure, maybe in response to higher higher interest rates. I think it's also a reflection of demand cooling a little bit. Um, you know, I think for the first time, I think it was in three years, inventories of homes for sale actually rose. So I think we've kind of been in this environment for the past three years. I'm sure somebody, you know, Steve or Rajiv can correct me if I'm wrong, but for the first time in, in a while, we've actually started to see inventories come back up again. And uh, I've, I've seen things that suggest that the homes are taking longer to sell. It's still a pretty decent market overall, but it is cooling pretty quickly. Um, so I think that was probably some of the, the headline news and some of the economic news that was uh, was out this week. We also got more data that suggests that inflation is, is definitely cooling. Not all of the news is good, unfortunately, but many employers now have started talking about um, revisiting hiring plans. Um, there's been a few increases of some layoffs, even the jobless claim numbers that we often look at uh, week on week out um, did tick up a little bit. And I think they're at a, about a six or seven month high. So they've actually escalated. They're still well below recession levels, but they've also trended in the wrong direction. And I guess there's some extent that maybe you know, as these numbers continue higher, they further suggest that they're doing kind of the work for the Fed. I mean, they're taking some of the, the pressure off the labor market. Um, and that's maybe one of the reasons why the equity market is, is starting to respond favorably. I'd also note that from the inflation perspective, um, uh, you know, Senator Manchin out of, of West Virginia was out this week that uh, got some attention when he was um, kind of backing away from the climate change deal. And not to make you know too much of this a, of a political statement, but I think it was interesting. This, this was the first time I can remember that a politician actually said he didn't want to spend more money. Um, and I think there's probably some argument to suggest that maybe the market is 
is sensitive and, and kind of appreciates the fact that there's a bit more fiscal restraint going on as well. So combined, you've got you know, kind of a, a, some softening in the labor market. Um, you've got maybe some tightening with respect to fiscal spending, a cooling housing market. Um, you know, we'll, we'll get uh, Steve's take on earnings in a second, but, but those things to me suggest that maybe the market is kind of doing the heavy lifting for the Fed and kind of taking some of these inflationary pressures down um, before the Fed actually has to intervene too much. And, and maybe you know, if we think about what the Fed might be doing next, it maybe won't be as aggressive as, as once feared, as we thought maybe just a few weeks ago. But uh, Rajiv, let me, let me get your thoughts. It's been a pretty active week um, on your side of the desk with respect to central banks. And I guess, you know, we, why don't we start with the ECB? Because I think that was a pretty interesting move, uh, what they did this week out of Europe. Uh, very interesting, George, indeed. Um, you know, it just proves that inflation is uh, truly a global phenomenon, a global issue. And uh, now we have more than 60 central banks trying to do what they can do to combat inflation. And you can add the ECB to that list uh, where yesterday uh, they raised their key rates by about 50, by 50 basis points. Uh, it's the first increase for them in 11 years and the biggest since 2000. And the rationale here again is the same to combat surging inflation. And uh, that too with recession risk rising, global recession risks are rising, but the ECB is doing what they need to do. Uh, they also introduced a tool called the Transmission Protection Instrument, TPI, which allows the ECB to buy public sector securities with no preset limits. And those details remain vague, but it really shows you that the ECB is really trying to get in front of the curve. Uh, they're behind the curve as well, just like the Fed. Uh, but basically, they're going to try to do what they can with this new tool to undo any abrupt changes of financial conditions. If you compare that with what the Fed has done, it's very different. Uh, the Fed's monetary policy, they ended their asset purchases before they began rate, uh, raising rates. Uh, the ECB is actually trying to do it at the same time, raise rates and also have this tool that allows them to buy securities if need be. But if you go back to uh, the central bank actions, these are all aggressive rate hikes when you think about it, relatively speaking. We're used to 25 basis points from, from most of the central banks, but now we're in this club, the 50 basis point club, where you're seeing all these banks around the globe raising rates, trying to combat inflation. The ECB move was double what the market was expecting. Uh, it's in line with those outsized moves that we've seen from other banks, but uh, it just shows you that inflation is a very is a very strong uh, uh, strong market uh, condition right now. And I think that the, the central banks around the, the globe are really trying to do what they can to combat it. The question really is gonna be, does the Bank of England follow suit? Do they raise 50 basis points? They have a meeting coming up. And what does the Fed do? Uh, the Fed, uh, are they gonna try to go beyond uh, 75 basis points next week. We have a lot to do next week as well. Yeah, what do you make of the Fed? I mean, it's kind of, again, I, I'm kind of thinking that the market has kind of done some of the heavy lifting for the Fed. And, and I know we've talked about, it's a pretty foregone conclusion that they'll raise rates 75 basis points um, next week. Uh, a few weeks ago, we thought about, there was some speculation that might raise 100 basis points. So they've kind of, the market seems like that's pulled off. And I don't think that's completely gone away. But, um, you know, I think the bigger question many people might be asking is what does the path look like from there? So September, for example, I think is the following meeting and not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but September was one of those meetings that people thought they might you know, back off a little bit, that might raise 50 basis points. We got that hot CPI number and then those percentages of 75 basis points or more went off the table or went off the charts rather, uh, thinking that 75 basis points might happen. But what do we, if we look at the September, what's the market now suggesting the Fed will do then? Uh Great question. I, I think that uh, it's so quick how probabilities change on what the expectations from the Fed are. Uh, when the CPI print came out, uh, right on that day itself, the expectation was the Fed was going to move 75 basis points in September, 100 basis points next week. 
Now the odds of Fed speakers coming in, Fed, mem Fed members have kind of dialed back those expectations. Now we're talking about 75 basis points next week being the consensus and the consensus for September being uh, 50 basis points. Uh, we also have a Jackson Hole meeting in August, which typically you don't see a, a Fed doing a rate hike in, the, in those meetings. But when that CPI print came out, the consensus became that, okay, we're gonna have a Fed that's gonna be in motion next week. The uh, August uh, Jackson Hole meeting, there'll be a rate hike that day. And then you go September and you're talking 75 basis points. But within two days, that all cooled down. And now there's actually talks. I've heard economics, uh, economic uh, professors coming out today and saying, Inflation's going to slow down. We're going to have uh, the Fed's going to be done after this hike next week. I don't know how these type of expectations just play out so quickly within a day. But uh, to be honest with you, I think that the Fed has not signaled that at all. They're signaling that they're going to do what it takes to control inflation. I expect the 75 basis points next week. Uh, hundreds not off the table, but I do I do think they'll stick with 75. I think uh, come September, you're talking at least 50. Well, as always, we'll have to say ten to that. But um, meanwhile, we've got earnings out, Steve, and, and we've now seen, you know, north of fifteen or so percent of the S and P five hundred report earnings. Um, you know, the numbers seem, from what I've seen, pretty decent. I'm sure you can probably discern some more um, precise trends. But what are you seeing earnings? Uh, and also, what is what's the outlook like for the rest of the year so far? Well, it's been an interesting earnings season, as it always is. And what we've seen is that while the numbers have come in, in fact better than expectations. Um, we've seen the market really not care about earnings, George, which is funny because I, I, the thing I watch is what's the market reaction to the numbers themselves, right? And we've seen both stocks that are beating expectations and stocks that are disappointing on expectations end up with positive returns and significantly so on the day of and the day after the releases. So really the market is rewarding poor performance and good performance this quarter. So that tells me that the bar was just set incredibly low uh, as we came in. When you look at the overall earnings line for the S&P 500, the earnings aggregate the number has started to drift lower here in the last couple of weeks. Uh, it's continued to drift lower as we've gotten through this start to earnings season. Um, as guidance is being taken down. So forward guidance is coming down. I mean, it really seems to me that the, the market narrative has shifted here lately. It's shifted away from this idea of inflation and, and kind of you know, this obsession with worrying about it to, to much more of a focus on growth. Where, where is growth gonna be next year? Um, it's these recession fears, you know, the the idea that the Fed is going to push stuff so far as to break things, that whole uh, those whole conversations. Um, you know, I think the the market really is focused on when when is the uh, when is the the Fed going to be done, and at what level. Um, and I, I think we've seen those those numbers be in flux. We've seen those numbers get pulled forward um, into the first quarter of next year. You know, whether that actually proves to be the case is going to be a, a, a different question. I mean, those inflation numbers are awfully sticky. Um, I've seen a number of different pieces from other folks. Maybe we've got academic economists thinking that the the Fed is going to be done in a, another month or two. But you can you can make the case that the inflation numbers we're seeing now, because of the way they're constructed, especially with the uh, owner's equivalent rent portion, um, that these numbers are going to run hot all through the rest of the year. 
Um, so the headline numbers are not going to be pretty, um, irrespective of the fact that commodity prices and gasoline prices and things like that may have come off the boil a bit and made people feel a little better about it. The headline numbers are going to be particularly rough to deal with. Um, market itself, you know, we've when when markets rally on bad slash poor news, um, that's to be respected. So you know, the the rally obtains right now. It looks to us like we could see this follow through up to say forty one fifty to forty two hundred on the S and P five hundred. That is the the May high that we saw, or the, the high we saw back in late, late May, early June, uh, also corresponds with the the low we saw in late February. So you know, there's significant. Um, technical resistance in that area. We'll see if there's enough momentum to carry it through. You know, we've watched a number of different batteries, a number of different indicators, I should say, that, that uh, and a battery of indicators that we we watch to see, you know, how is the market doing? You know, things like high beta versus low volatility, cyclicality versus defensiveness, um, a number of different types of things like this. And all of these indicators still tell us that there's a lot more wood for this market to chop before we signal all clear. Market participation still remains below where we'd like to see it in terms of strength. Um, the strength that we do see is fairly narrow. We need to see that broaden out, George. Maybe it happens as we move through the back end of the summer and we get into the you know the typical summer doldrums. Um, but this summer sure doesn't see doldrum like to me yet. Uh, no, indeed, it doesn't. It sure doesn't. There's there's a lot going on at the headline level and certainly at the at the micro level too. Steve, before I let you go, though, you know we've seen a really pretty swift rotation since July started into some of these uh, high growth names again, right? They they were ones that really were taken down first, and uh, they seem to kind of rise um, more recently and probably outperformed by a good amount. It seems like to me. You know, these are companies in the tech space that, again, were, were hurt pretty hard as interest rates were moving up uh, and valuations were coming down pretty quickly. Do you think this rally into growth names is sustainable or what's your, what do you, what do you think we want to be positioned portfolio-wise uh, going into the second half of this year? Well, I think that when you look at the, the tech names that have caught up a, a pretty good bid, it's, there's, there is definitely a bifurcation in the market, right? So it's not the stuff that was necessarily the leaders post COVID, the, the low earnings or no earnings type of names. Um, what you're seeing is uh, rallies in profitable tech growth companies. Um, and I think that what you see there is, a, is this tilt toward defensiveness. Um, if you go back over the last five or six years, when, when people started to have growth fears about the overall economy, there was a gravitation to growth stocks because these companies have shown the ability to grow earnings and compound returns uh, for shareholders, even through uh, periods of economic weakness. And I think what we're seeing right now is we're seeing a return to um, market participants being willing to commit capital to some of these, maybe high, for lack of a better word, higher multiple, but higher quality growth names um, within the technology space, within the healthcare space. Healthcare has also been leadership, George. So, you know, those two areas uh, have been noticeable to me. Well, I think, uh, again, lots to keep our uh, eyes on. And again, next week, I think will be a really critical week. Again, we've got the Fed uh, coming out, as Rajiv mentioned, on Wednesday. 
And then the very next day, of course, we'll have the second quarter print of GDP, which um, you know people are trying to game that that number, which could suggest that we're uh, we're experiencing two consecutive quarters of negative growth. But I still think we're not quite in a recession yet. Labor market seems to be decent. Um, trends are not our friend at the moment, but for now, it seems like there's still a lot of underlying strength in the economy that um, hopefully can endure a, a bit longer. George, thanks for the recap for next week. And George, Stephen, Rajiv, thanks for your insights. We appreciate it. Thanks to our listeners for joining us today. Be sure to subscribe to the Key Wealth Matters podcast through your favorite podcast app. And as always, past performance is no guarantee of future results. And we know your financial situation is personal to you. So reach out to your relationship manager, your portfolio strategist, or your financial advisor for more information. And we'll catch up with you next week to see how the world and the markets have changed and provide those keys to help you achieve your financial success. The Key Wealth Matters podcast is produced by the Key Wealth Institute. The Key Wealth Institute is comprised of a collection of financial professionals representing key entities, including key private bank, key bank institutional advisors, key private client, and key investment services. Any opinions, projections, or recommendations contained herein are subject to change without notice and are not intended as individual investment advice. This material is presented for informational purposes only and should not be construed as individual tax or financial advice. Bank and trust products are provided by Key Bank National Association, member FDIC, and Equal Housing Lender. Key Private Bank and Key Bank Institutional Advisors are part of Key Bank. Investment products, brokerage, and investment advisory services are offered through Key Investment Services, LLC, or KISS, member of FINRA, SIPC, and SEC Registered Investment Advisor. Insurance products are offered through Key Corp Insurance Agency USA, Incorporated, or KIA. KISS and KIA are affiliated with Key Bank. Investment and insurance products are not FDIC insured, not bank guaranteed, may lose value, not a deposit, not insured by any federal or state government agency. KeyBank and its affiliates do not provide tax or legal advice. Individuals should consult their personal tax advisor before making any tax-related investment decisions. This content is copyrighted by KeyCorp 2022.